take a break from the Gospel of John this morning and uh, look at this idea of anger. What, what do we do with our anger? How do we know if our anger is sinful? How do we know if our anger is righteous? What's the balance between that? And Scripture actually has a lot to teach about anger. One of the passages, again, we looked at last week when Jesus cleared the temple and used uh, anger righteously. And so how do we do that? One of the reasons I wanted to, to drill down on this for a minute is because whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're testing the waters, you're not sure where you are uh, with that, whether you're Christian or, or not a Christian, we are confused about what anger is. And the dominant thought about anger, my experience, has been stuff it or express it freely. Okay, Stuff it or just pop the cap off and let it roll. Okay. And neither of those perspectives are helpful or actually biblical. The, the scripture, as it often does, teaches a very helpful third way to think about and process our anger. And the title of this sermon comes directly from this passage, which is, and it's the question that we're asking ourselves, how can we be angry and do not sin? It, it seems contradictory. It's not saying... Don't be angry and, don't, and therefore not sin. It says, be angry and do not sin. How is that even possible? Is it possible? Right? Anger is not always bad. Sometimes anger can be useful, but how, how do we do that? And what we want to do is we want to examine everything we're feeling. Feelings can be bad masters, but they can be indicators as to what's going on inside. Emotions can be helpful. For us to process, to figure out what we actually believe or how we're responding in our life. Anger being one of those emotions that's difficult to, to call. But what we want for, for all of us at King's Church is to be led by God's word and to look at our life through the lens of, of the Bible. That God will and can transform the way we think and the way we act through his word. We'll actually see that in this passage in just a minute. And it's one of the best ways we can experience God, right? Every other tactic besides the biblical tactic is a means to mask or forget anger. But that's not what God calls us to do. And we'll see that in just a minute. So we looked at Jesus' use of anger last time. We talked about how it was righteous. If you want to go back and listen to that, feel free to do so. But what about sinful anger? What is sinful anger, right? What, is, what does that look like and how should I deal with it? And the illustration that I opened with last time was think about anger like dynamite. It's an extremely useful tool and it's also extremely dangerous at the same time. You could say the same thing about a wrecking ball, right? Useful tool, but it can level you and end your life. A lot of things, and one of the illustrations that came to my mind, it's actually the illustration most often used in the Bible for anger, and it's fire. Think about how the world has changed and modified by different uses of fire, right? We're, we're hopefully about to put in a, a, a fireplace in our home. Charles is going to help us with that. Jenny's been wanting one forever. Um, I live in the South. I don't see the reason for a fireplace because it's so hot. But anyway, I don't get to make those calls a lot of times in the house. But, you know, if you have a fireplace, it's nice and contained, and it adds a lot. Heat, something nice to look at, all those, all those types of things. But if you leave it unchecked, it'll burn down your house and ruin everything you have, maybe even kill you, right? Anger is the same way. Anger is a useful tool, but it can also destroy. So how do we handle something like that? Well, let's look at God's word. 
Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, the context of this passage is Paul has lifted up this beautiful theology. Chapter 1, he talks about the the relation, who God is and who you are and all that he's done for you in Christ, even before Christ even came, even before you were born. And then he talks about how uh, y'all think we deal with racism in our culture today. The Jew and Gentile racism was on a whole nother level. And in chapter 2, he talks about how in Christ and in Christ alone, you can see barriers divide even between ethnicities and then in chapter three he lifts up this beautiful theology of the church and then he in chapter four he says all right now listen all this theology i've been giving you let me see how let me show you how it plays out okay let me show you how all this stuff plays out when y'all live with each other this is how you need to do it and so that's where we pick up into this conversation how are we supposed to live based on all those things we believe all right chapter four beginning in verse 17 This is God's word. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord will stand forever. Father in heaven, as we consider this passage, we would ask, God, that you would allow uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of context, beginning in verse 17 in this passage. I'll get to that in just a minute. But culminates in that in, in the reason why I chose the passage, culminates in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Maybe some of your translations say, be angry and do not sin. Okay? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Big idea today, it goes like this. Anger is not always sinful, but when it is, it will destroy your life. Anger is not always sinful, but when it is, it will destroy your life. Therefore, you need to master it before it masters you. Okay? Master it before it masters you. The answer to this is yes, but you don't have to tell me, right? Because it's weird to tell preachers this kind of stuff. Have you ever been so angry before that you felt out of control? I have. When that happens... You are capable of serious damage. What does God say about anger? What does he say for us to do with that? Three points this morning. 
Actually, two. All right, I normally a three-pointer, but today you're lucky. You only get two, all right? Understand anger, and then understand how God wants us to deal with our anger. We need to understand anger, and then we need to understand how God wants us to deal with our anger, okay? So un- un- point number one, understanding anger biblically. That's essentially what I mean. We're going to understand what the Bible says teaches about anger. Here's a big idea again. Anger is not always sinful, but when it is, it will destroy your life. Therefore, you need to master it before it masters you, okay? So in this passage, what's, I'm going to give you a summary. Of, we're going to really kind of hammer in in just a minute on verses tw- uh, 26 and 27, uh, 26, 27, but let me give you the summary of 17 through 25 just to set the context, okay? Paul is, is explaining to these new believers, this brand new church, this church plant of, of new converts, okay? He's explaining to them uh, how they're supposed to live differently than the Gentiles. And when he says the Gentiles, undoubtedly there were some converted Gentiles in this church. Okay, so there were some Jews that had been converted, and there were some Gentiles that had been converted. Okay, so he's not saying don't act like your brothers and sisters that come from that background. What he's saying is that the pagan, and by pagan I mean worship of the gods. That's all I mean by that. That they live a lifestyle that is unchecked by restraint. At least in the Ephesian culture. Okay, the Ephesian culture unchecked by restraint. They worshipped through sexuality. That was part of their worship. Okay? They, they're unchecked by restraint. And so he begins, and, and we're culminating in anger, right? But he begins uh, this thought. He gives several examples, but he's saying that he gives this example of take off and put on. And Paul uses this in Colossians. He uses it in several other passages. This example of what it means to begin to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Okay? As we continue to learn more about what we believe, as we continue to strive, because God's given us a new way to feel if you're a believer in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, God's given you a new way to feel. He's given you new passions and love. Then what happens is the old things that you love and the old ways that you live, just like this jacket, if it was worn out, I would put it off and put on a new. That's the process of growing in your relationship with Christ. The word we typically use for that is called sanctification. Becoming more like God. Okay? And it's this idea of put off and put on. You used to worship God through prostitution, Ephesians. Don't do that anymore. God doesn't want that from you. It's, it's actually not even going to make you happy in the first place. That's why I commanded you not to do it. You used to have no restraint in anything. You're the way you talked, you lied. You're known as being a liar. You used to have no restraint in your anger or anything or stealing or any of the other examples he gives in this passage. But, but now you're different. And how does that change happen? Okay. First thing that happens is you have to think differently. Did you notice how many times in this passage he says he, he's, he's comparing? He says in verse 18 that they are darkened in their understanding because they're separate from the life of God. He says that they have ignorance due to their hardness of heart. That, that, um, that He says that you did not know, in verse 20, you did not know Christ that way. Surely you were heard and you were taught in verse 21, and then verse 22, you were taught, and then in verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. You see, this starts out here in what you believe and what you know to be true. And the first part of dealing with our anger, the first part of understanding our anger is to realize that we have to reframe the way we think about our lives and what we feel by what the Bible says about what God says. 
okay? And so that's what, he's, that's what he starts with them, and that's why point number one is understanding anger. Before we can deal with the hard stuff that's going on that's making us angry in the first place, we need to understand it, where it comes from and what's going on. And so that's why he's saying, he's saying, listen, you've got to get hold of your thinking, and then we can move into what's actually going on. That's why he starts out, that's why he starts out in, uh, in that way. All right, so let's, so let's think about anger. Let's define it. Let's define anger, okay? Again, this isn't like theological. This is just a broad definition that I looked up, okay? Anger is energy aroused and released against something. Internal, emotional energy that's aroused and released against something, okay? Think of it like fire. It has energy to produce and energy to destroy, okay? So there's different categories of anger, and I would like to talk to them. Again, the goal in this first point is we want to understand anger, okay? First category, all right? Anger is not always sinful. We've talked about that, okay? Because if, it was, if anger was always sinful, then that would mean that God is sinful and Jesus is sinful. Because in Numbers chapter 12, verse 29, we read, The anger of the Lord burned against them. God doesn't sin. He's holy. So Jesus' anger burned when he entered the temple. We talked about that. And there are two other times that I know of when Jesus was angry. Mark chapter 3, verses 5, when, when they used an opportunity to heal somebody, the Pharisees rather, used an opportunity as he was healing someone to come at him. And then when the disciples kept children away from him, which is interesting. He was, it says he was angry about that. Okay? So anger, anger is not always sinful. Again, that was basically the whole last sermon, so check that out. All right, next, next category. Anger is extremely useful. Can be. Okay? Anger can be extremely useful. Righteous anger, hear me say this. Okay? Again, this was last sermon, so we're going to touch on it. All right? Righteous anger, like no other emotion, can propel you into sacrificial service and obedience to God. I'm going to say that again. Anger, almost like no other emotion, can propel you into sacrificial service and obedience to God. Okay? I, uh, there's a couple categories, a couple people I want you to think about. Like Martin Luther, right, as Presbyterians, we think a lot, talk a lot about Martin Luther because he started the Reformation. That's what makes us Protestants, protest. That's another sermon. But anyway, Martin Luther, in many ways, was propelled to the extreme sacrifices that he went through because he was angry that the church had lost the gospel entirely. Okay? And that anger propelled him to sacrifice. His namesake, Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, you could probably make the similar argument. Propelled by love, sure, no doubt, but also anger. It's a force that propels. If, if you're angry with the abortion industry, the fact that there are hundreds and thousands of babies slaughtered every minute, that anger can propel you into the sacrifice of your money, time, and talents. Maybe you need to, maybe you're so angry that you're willing to sacrifice and adopt. Or maybe you're so angry that you're actually willing to run for political office. You don't care anything about it, but you just feel like you need to just so you can make a difference and stop the atrocity. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in those decisions. How are you going to be propelled through those difficult decisions, those self-sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again? You know one of the tools? Anger. When righteously used. Think about it like this. There was a, I'm 6'1 and some change, and the change matters. And um, I'm thinking if there was a man who was 6'6, 300 pounds, you know, stacked up, hitting the gym, you know. Normally, I would see a guy like this and, and not want to mess with him. You know, make sure I talk nice, don't offend, 
things of that nature. But if he ever touched my daughter, it would be a different story. I would turn into a different human being. The fear that I would have naturally would quickly dissipate. Why? Anger. Okay? And a side note, you know, one of the days I do want my daughters to, to meet a wonderful godly man, and I've already got my speech prepared. It goes something like this. It goes like this. Listen, listen, son. I want children, I want my, my, my daughters to marry a wonderful man, a godly man who loves her, and maybe you're it, but I just want you to know. I don't mind spending my whole life in prison. There's good ministry to be done in the prisons. Somebody's got to do it. But that's neither here nor there. All right, so but anger really can propel us, can propel us for, okay? Again, last time, all right? So that's it. All right, here you go, third category. Again, a lot of that we talked about last time. Third category for anger. Anger is like fruit. It spoils quickly. Anger is like fruit, it spoils quickly. We see that in this passage. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay? Why does he say, why does he got to say that? Because anger is like fruit, it spoils quickly. You better deal with it before it goes bad. Okay? More on that in a minute. Um, but whenever anger lets, let you let it sit, especially sinful anger, which we're going to get to, when you let sinful anger sit, okay, it turns into poison. Poison for you and poison for other people. You unleash it against them. And anger, anger can spoil quickly, and it can fuel bitterness, revenge, murder, and resentment. I heard a testimony of a, um, of a man who was convicted of murder, and he literally took the guy that he was so mad at and strung him up to the back of his car and drug him to his death. And as he was going to his execution, was still spewing anger against this guy. Even as he was going, it, had, it became who he was. It had spoiled. Probably started out that way. But, that's, but anger can blind us to the truth of the reality that's all around us. In this passage, in verse 31, I didn't read to I didn't get to it, okay? I didn't get to it. But in verse 31 of chapter 4, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Anger is like fruit. It spoils quickly. You better deal with it fast. All right, so let me summarize. Anger is not always sinful. It can be extremely useful. It spoils quickly and can turn into poison for you and others. All right, next, next sub point, if you will. Unfortunately with me, when you only have two points, there's probably going to be a lot of sub points. Here we go. All right, so... Where does anger come from? So what about categories of anger? We defined anger, categories of anger. Now, where does anger come from? Okay, again, I stole a lot of this. I'm just admitting it. There's a, a talk that you can find on YouTube by R.C. Sproul. He's a wonderful man who's with the Lord now. And it was called How to Deal with Your Anger. How to, I highly recommend you go and listen to it. But I'm going to give you a couple of things that he talked about that I found very, very helpful as I was studying this week. We all have anger to deal with if you're breathing. Okay? Some more than others. So we have to deal with it. So the heart of the matter, again, why we're spending a lot of time on this, is we have to understand the nature of anger in the first place. We all get mad at different types of things. Depends on how we're wired or maybe how we were raised or whatever. That some of the things that set you off wouldn't bother me at all. Wouldn't bother me at all and some of the things that drive me crazy, you're like, get over it. Right? What really gets me going is sometimes is inconvenience. It's just my thing. I just hate being inconvenienced. Okay? So I can be, I'll be upstairs, and we'll be getting ready for, for bed, and I'll be 
just getting into that covers and feeling that thing, and she'd be like, can you go downstairs and get something for me? I'm like, what? You know? I mean, I'm just hitting, in my, hitting my convenience, right? For, for, for her, it's if the children break something, you know? That's a different, different thing all the way. And I'm like, they're kids. They're going to break stuff, you know? But it just, we're wired differently. Different things set us off. But there's some basic elements of anger, and I'm going to give you the three most common. Three most common elements of anger. Again, this is from Dr. Sproul. Very helpful. Okay? And they're all related, and you'll see that in a minute. The first element of anger is disappointment. Disappointment. This is one of the most difficult things for us to learn how to deal with is disappointment. So you're in the grocery, and you've got little ones, and you're getting your groceries, and the grocery cart stock people are smart. They put the candy, and they put the toys right by the checkout line. And you, maybe you're, there, there's an expectation that the, that the children have they're going to get something. And then they walk past it and they walk past it and they walk past it. And then you come to the line and they say, they grab it and they hand it to you with those eyes. Like, here, can you get this for me? No, not today. What happens? Like, explode, sometimes, right? Explosive anger, temper tantrum. It's all, if you raise children, you know what I'm talking about, right? And sometimes that happens to us, too. It's really difficult for us to process our disappointments. We've been banking on something. We've got it all planned out. Let's say you, you got, um, you've been ha- you had a hard week, and you're another pastor I was listening to gave this illustration. You have a hard week, and you've been just exhausted for the past couple of weeks, and you're just looking forward to Monday night football, and you come home. And you've just been thinking about it all day. I'm going to kick up a glass of sweet tea, like a couple hours, you know, and the kids get in bed, and then you kick up, and you're ready to watch Monday Night Football, and all of a sudden it's one of those nights where the kids won't stay in bed. And you lose it. You lose it. Why? Disappointment. You had that thing mapped out. And disappointment is difficult to handle. You make plans, have hopes, form expectations, and they are not realized. And then disappointment provokes anger. It happens in our marriages all the time. Uh, unmet expectations and disappointment. How many of our arguments, this may be a good thing to talk about, or maybe not, depends, might be drama. Might be a good thing to talk about community groups. How many of our arguments are really about disappointments? Okay, number two. Um, frustration. Well, before we jump there, just let me say this. The reality of life is this, though. People are going to disappoint you. And you're going to disappoint other people. That's, that's reality, okay? Um, number two, frustration. Frustration is just repeated disappointment. Test one, test one. It's weird how that's doing there. Frustration is just repeated disappointment, all right? So imagine this, this scenario. Um, you, you get, you're looking forward to, a, you know, a promotion or something like that, and, and it just keeps getting passed up and passed up and passed up, and all these people keep getting it, and you don't get it, and it's passed up, passed up. Years go by, and you're just getting frustrated. You're more frustrated, more frustrated, more frustrated, and finally, when the next guy gets frustrated, you just lose it. Blow your top, yell at your boss, send all kind of emails that you can't get back, and, all, and you're fired immediately, right? Frustration. And then the final one, which is included in all of them, is pain, either physical or emotional. There's really pain in those other two, by the way, as well, right? Emotional pain. But physical pain, somebody hurt you. It's not your fault. Not your fault. But you have it. They hurt you, and you're angry. 
or you hurt someone else, right? All three of these involve pain, disappointment, frustration, pain, whether physical or emotional. And one of the things that can help us process our anger and help other people when they're angry with us is to ask a simple question, where is the pain? Where is the pain? Because it's a lot easier to deal with pain than it is anger. All right? Okay. So types of anger. Okay? So those are the basic element of anger. Types of anger. Okay? Type number one is misdirected anger. Anger aimed at people that have not caused it. This happens all the time. It, it happens all the time. Okay? So here's an illustration, right? You, you're... Um, Again, Dr. Sproul gave this. I wish I came up with it because it's good. But your boss chews you out. You're having a terrible day. On the way home, you get in a wreck. And you're just furious. And then you walk in the house and you uh, kiss your wife and, and, and tell her how beautiful she is. No, that's not how that goes at all, right? That's not how it goes at all, right? You walk in, kick the dog, and it just takes one little thing and you're off, right? And you're just you're setting loose. Let me change the mics real quick. thing and you're set off right you're yelling at your kids all these things are happening and it's not their fault it's something else situational anger number two and then we'll move on situational anger is a lot of times we blame people or other things for disappointments that were just accidents and or, or something something like that right like if a kid slips and knocks over a vase it's really not their fault they just slipped the anger can come out, okay? Now, here's something interesting. I wish I had time to go through this. I don't. We're going to get on to point two and then wrap it up. But it, here's interesting. If we're looking at the source of anger, again, the goal here is to understand anger. Listen to James chapter 4, verses 1. I have, what I haven't done for you yet, and semi-intentionally, is define what sinful anger is. Okay, Righteous anger is when you have that pent-up energy that you're going to use for God's justice or other people's good. Okay? Sinful anger is when it's about you. Let me, get, let, me def, let me defend that with scripture. It's not just my opinion. All right? James chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to this. Don't turn it up. Just listen to me. Okay? James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Good question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Which ones? Verse 2. You want something, but you don't get it. There's sinful anger. You want something, but you don't get it. He goes on and says, you kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. There's the definition of sinful anger right there. You can't have what you want, and it's infuriating you. And if you don't deal with that, you're going to destroy your life. If you don't let God convict you of that, we're getting there. If you don't process that anger, it'll destroy the people around you. You didn't get what you want, and that's real. But you need to deal with it. Point number two, understand, and the last, understanding, and much less subpoints, by the way, so you can be comforted. Um, understanding how God wants us to deal with our anger. Understanding how God wants us to deal with your anger. Okay, first of all, how not to deal with your anger. Okay, this is how Christians and non-Christians are just, I don't know if we're taught this, but it's what we come, it's what we believe. 
right? The first thing that not to do with your anger is stuff it and hope it goes away. It won't. It won't. You'll just turn into a volcano. It'll just be a time bomb. It'll just be a, it'll just be a, a timing issue at that point. Okay? Stuffing it and hoping it goes away doesn't work. Number two, express it with no self-control. Guardrails are gone. Everything's unchecked. That ain't going to work either. In fact, the whole beginning of this passage has been about self-control. I hope you notice that. He's saying the Gentiles don't have any self-control. You need to have some self-control. And then he highlights anger as one of the things you need to have self-control over. Okay? All right, so how does God want us to deal with our anger? The first thing he wants is to be slow to anger. I'll, I'll mention this quickly. Because um, God himself is slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Okay? James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to becoming angry. The second thing that God wants us to do is to express our anger to God. That's what Psalm 137 is about. That's what several of the Psalms in the Bible are about. God is a safe place to bring your anger to. Okay? Now here's something that you've, you've probably done and I've done. And it's not right, but God is gracious. Do you hear me? We've aimed our anger at God and been angry with God. I have. If you're honest, probably most of you have too. And the proper response for that is repentance. Because there's no way that you can be justified of being angry at God. The very fact that you exist is grace. And if you're a Christian, there's a whole nother level. But we do get angry at God. Just as reality of life when things really hurt. And you can take that to him as well. And he'll lead you through that repentance. Okay? Alright? We can express our anger to God. Alright. So the other thing we can do is we can understand our anger with a new mind. We can understand our anger like God does. We already talked about that. Okay? Alright. Next. Acknowledge your anger. Don't stuff it. Acknowledge your anger. Don't stuff it. In this passage, it says, be angry or in your anger, okay? So don't ignore it. Deal with it, all right? Next, process your anger, okay? That we already talked about this a little bit. If you don't, it's going to spoil quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anger can be easily corrupted, and it can be corrupted quickly. You better learn how to recognize it. And I just want to say that this is particularly hard for men because we struggle with the whole feel thing anyway, right? So... Learn how to recognize your anger, okay, and process it quickly. I will say this as a caveat, just, you know, I'd love to say that I ne we, we did, you know, in my marriage and other things that I've always just not let the sun go down on my anger, that would be a lie. I do think there are some times that you need to take the time to cool off, and for different people, that's different, right, okay? But process it quickly. Don't let it sit for too long, all right, then. And then next, process it with self-control. Process it with self-control, okay? The, Paul says, in, in, when he's talking about the fruit of what it means to be a Christian, he's, his phrase, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And the whole first part of this passage is don't be like the Gentiles who have no self-control. Be controlled. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You know what debauchery means in the Greek, that word, astuia? 
It means a reckless life without control. In other words, the reason why he says don't get drunk is because when you get drunk, you lose control. Okay? So, um, Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Okay? So, process their anger with self-control. And there's a warning in this passage that I hope you saw in verse 27. Don't give the devil a foothold. You see, the devil's a master climber. And the only thing he needs is that slightest edge, and he'll jump all over your life and corrupt and corrupt everything. There's a warning there. So process it quickly. Process it with self-control. Process it with God's, with God and with his word. This is why we stress so much the value of spending time in God's word every single day. Spending time in prayer every single day is because in that time alone with God, you can get access to what's really going on inside and ask God for help. You can see yourself through the lens of Scripture. Process it with God and His Word. Next, process it by questioning your anger. This is big, okay? Process it by questioning your anger. Remember that question we had a little while ago? Where's the pain? What is it? Where is it directed? Who's it at? Is it justified? Is it frustration, disappointment, or pain? Is your anger legitimate? Do you have realistic expectations? Maybe bring other people in. Ask them. Say, maybe I'm blinded and I can't see. Is my anger even justified at all? Question it. You're dealing with dynamite. You need to question it. And then finally, process it by repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. I wish I had time to talk about each of those categories right now. Process it from turning away from your sin, asking forgiveness, and trying to come together with the person that you've hurt or been hurt by. If you hurt someone with your anger, repent and ask for forgiveness from God, and then that person. Seek reconciliation. Has someone hurt you? Repent of your anger and ask for forgiveness from God. And if at all possible, don't let it lead to bitterness. Because that's the poison of anger. And then finally, you may need to confront somebody who's actually caused legitimate pain. That could be true. And that's a, that's a helpful part of processing anger. That's a helpful part of not stuffing it. So, as we move to a conclusion... Are you angry? Bitter? Someone you need to forgive? You need to be forgiven by? Do it quickly. Don't let it spoil and turn into poison. Anger is not always sinful. But when it is, it will destroy your life. Therefore, you need to master it before it masters you. You know, David was praying one of his psalms, praying one night, he wrote it down, Psalm 22. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? David was processing his anger and his fear with God. At the end of that prayer, he concludes by saying this, I will declare your name to my brothers and in the congregation I will praise you. He ended up in praise. How is that possible for David and for you? One way. It's because someone else prayed that prayer. 
Jesus, when he was on the cross, said the same words. Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus on the cross was having the anger of God that you deserve dumped on him. Before you deal with your own anger, the first step is you better deal with God's anger. Have you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus? Have you believed that his sacrifice is the only thing that can take away God's anger? Have you surrendered your life in obedience and service to Jesus Christ who took the white hot anger and wrath of God for you? If not, then God is still angry with you and you have a bigger problem than your personal anger. Step one of dealing with, with God's anger and with your anger is you better deal with God's anger. Then you can have the categories to deal with your anger. Amen? Anger is not always sinful. And when it is, it can destroy your life. Therefore, you need to master it before it masters you. Father in heaven, we worship you because you took the anger that was meant for us and you put it on your son. And that reality changes how we process our anger. And so we ask that you would help us, that you would teach us, that you would do far more in us than a little sermon on this passage can, and that you would help us, specifically with our anger. We pray in Jesus' name.